Turn in your New Testaments to Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians 3. It's good to see each other this evening. Good to have you with us. And I want to begin by looking at verses 20 and 21, even though we will do a little survey of the whole chapter because it's all related to what is said in those last two verses of Philippians 3. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. For our citizenship is in heaven. Over in Acts, the 16th chapter, at verses 11 and 12, it says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, this is talking about uh, Paul on his second preaching tour, missionary journey. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And so, the city of Philippi was made up at least partially, if not all, made up partially of Roman citizens. They had Roman citizenship. What is a colony? A colony is a group of people. In this case, it was a church. But it's a group of people that are citizens of one country and living in another country. Brother Claude Worley out in California years ago, he's been dead for a number of years now, but I remember him telling the story that when he was growing up, he and his family were a part of a colony in Mexico. So he partly, at least partly, grew up in Mexico, and there was a group of them. And so they formed a colony in that other country. They were citizens of this country, but living in another country. And that's the picture here. Our eternal citizenship is not on this earth. Our eternal citizenship as Christians is in heaven. It's already there. We're not living there as yet. That's why we are a colony of heaven on earth. Notice it again. Our citizenship is in heaven. We sing that song fairly often. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. That's the same message. I really intended to have Andrew lead that song tonight, one of our first songs, because that's 
That's a matter of fact. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Yes, we're citizens. I suppose every one of us in this building tonight are citizens of the United States of America. And I'm sure that we're happy about being citizens of this country. But we need to realize that this is not our greater citizenship. This is not an eternal relationship. If this ends in, just relatively speaking, compared to eternity, especially in just a, a mist, just like a breath of air, because this life in comparison to eternity is so brief. So our eternal citizenship as Christians is in heaven. And so Paul here in the beginning of the chapter says, Finally, my brethren, verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same thing as to you is not tedious, but, it is, it, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of equal, evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. He's referring, as you'll see as we read further here, he uses a rather plain language here, doesn't he? He's referring to what we know as the Judaizing teachers. Those were people who had come to believe in Jesus Christ, but they wanted to incorporate the requirements of the law of Moses along with the gospel. And so they were requiring Gentiles to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. We read about that specifically in other passages, such as Acts 15, verses 1 and 2. And so that's who he's referring to, and we'll see that as we proceed here. In verse two, he says, or verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision. Now, if you didn't read any further than that, you might think that he was referring to those same people. But notice he uses not they are the circumcision. We are. We are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, the, the circumcised. He's referring to are those who have come to Jesus Christ. But you say, I thought circumcision. Well, he's not using circumcision here from the literal standpoint physical. He's using this as Paul uses it in Colossians the second chapter when he compares our sins being cut off compared to circumcision. That figure is used in this passage. We are the we're the true circumcision. We, what this means is he's saying we are the true Israel of God. Physical Israel this time until this day is no longer God's special people. He is no longer, they are no longer the special people, the special nation that they were leading up to Jesus Christ. So he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, he said in verse 3, though, For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, 
and have no confidence in the flesh. The Judaizing teachers were placing their confidence in their fleshly connection to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Though, he says, he goes on to say, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Now what, watch what he's going to do with this. You might think that he's beginning to boast about his citizenship. He's only doing this, what he's saying here, to make his point that he has given this up, as we'll see later. So he begins to give his credentials as a Jew, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. And so here he says, if you want to, if you want to talk about being able to boast, I could put my record from the Jewish standpoint up next to yours. In fact, in Galatians, the first chapter at verse 14, he says he was above many in his nation as a Jew. He had accomplished much more than many had and was recognized before he became a Christian. He was recognized among them as a very important person among the Jewish people. So he gives its credentials, but the very next statement in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, that's what he's just been talking about, his Jewish credentials, he says, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus my Lord, Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. <clears throat> that I might count them as rubbish. Old King James Version says done. If you know what that is, it may, may let you know that he, is give, he has turned his back upon his Jewish credentials so far as his relationship with God is concerned. And so he says, suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. What, what kind of righteousness is that? Well, let's take, let's take the time to read it in Galatians, the, in Galatians, the third chapter, at verse 10. He's talking about this in Galatians 3. For as many as are of the works of the flesh are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If the only thing that had ever existed was the law of Moses, if we wanted to be right with God and go to heaven, without Christ, that was not possible. 
That's why God sent Jesus into this world. That's why he died on the cross. For not only you and me and all those who in this dispensation have the opportunity to come to Jesus Christ, but even Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all of those Old Testament people that were faithful to God under the Old Testament, they also depend upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for forgiveness. But he says, under the law by itself, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things. What does that say? In order to be justified purely on the basis of law, you'd have to keep it perfectly, not commit one sin, not one violation. That's what that passage is saying. And so that's what he's referring to here in verse uh, 9. And be found in him, that is in Christ, of Philippians 3, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, what is the significance of that righteousness? Righteousness in that passage is used synonymously with justification. You could read it that way. It'd be found in him not having my own justification, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the justification which is from God by faith. That's why Paul would say in Romans 5, therefore by faith we're justified. And so he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. That's talked about very plainly in such passages as 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. He has already experienced the power of the resurrection from sin, resurrection from death in sin, to life in Jesus Christ through the forgiveness, through the justification that comes in Christ Jesus. So he says, that's why I gave up my Jewish credentials. Why I gave up what I was. To come to Jesus Christ so that I could have the benefits of his death and resurrection. So that I might be resurrected one day to live with him forever. And then in verse 12, he continues by saying, not that I've already attained. He said, the journey's not over yet. The work is not done as yet. Or am already perfected, but I press on. This is one of the characteristics that we must have as children of God, as members of the body of Christ, is to press on, to recognize that we have not yet arrived at the destination. We have not yet gone home uh, to that place called heaven. He says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that 
for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or laid hold. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, I suspect there's quite a bit more than what he, content, what he has named in this context. But I'll tell you one thing. He's referring back to what he's just been talking about. Forgetting those things which are behind, what are you talking about? I'm talking about my Jewish credentials that I've just talked about in this chapter. But whatever was in his life that should not have been in the past, and that application should be made by us today, we may not be in the same situation. We may not have the same attitude. We, none of us, I suspect, none of us are of the Jewish people. We might have, without even knowing about it, we might have a little Jewish blood in us. But uh, it'd be very little, probably. But we are not, we are not of that past system. We, we are not a part of that. And so we may not be in the same position that Paul had been in before he became a Christian. But there are things that we need to forget in our past, such as the sinful life that we may have lived before we became Christians and before we had been forgiven of our sins. And so he said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, God calls us. How does he call us? By the gospel, we are told in one of the Thessalonian letters. We are called by the gospel. When the gospel is preached to us, in that gospel is the invitation the Lord gives us. In fact, the whole message is, the tenor of it is, that God is calling us to his side. God is calling us to his way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. How many ways are there? There's one way. And that way is through Jesus Christ. So he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, have this attitude. And if in, in anything you think otherwise, God reve will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And then he goes ahead in the next verse and says, Brethren, join in following my example. What? Follow Paul's example. That's what he means here, walk by the same rule. 
How is that possible? Well, Paul walked according to the rule that is laid down by the Holy Spirit as it gives us this guidance in the New Testament, teaching us how to live, but not only that, teaching us how to receive forgiveness of the sins initially and even throughout our lives as Christians. If we say that we have no sin, John wrote in 1 John to Christians, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We continue to depend upon the grace of God. It's not a one-time event. It has a beginning point. But we depend upon the grace of God and the forgiveness through that grace throughout our lives as Christians. And that's the call that is set before us. So he is exhorting us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. As he says in another passage, 1 Corinthians the 11th chapter at verse 1, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Imitate me. New King James Version says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Just a different way of saying the same thing. We are to walk by this same rule that the Apostle Paul was giving and that he was walking by. And then he explains and goes back to talking about those that he had named earlier. In verse 18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. The thought just enters my mind in our society today. Today, Do you think this kind of language by Paul goes over with many in our society today? Well, why didn't these people that Paul is talking about have the right to believe what they wanted to believe? Well, they could if they didn't want salvation. But that's what we're talking about, being right with God. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You mean because they insisted on Gentiles being circumcised and keeping the law of Moses in order to be saved? That they are enemies of the cross of Christ? That's exactly right. You can't mix anything with the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and require those things for people to do in order to be received in the fellowship of God, fellowship of His people, without endangering our souls. And so... He says they're the enemies of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, their stomach, and whose glory is in their shame. Listen to it. Who set their mind on earthly things. Now that would, obviously that would apply to us today. If we think the main thing in this life 
is for us to live for this life only. I don't have time to look to eternity. I'm so busy and have so many things to accomplish while I'm here. Well, what's going to, be, what's going to happen to those things when you're gone from here? For it's appointed and the man wants to die and after this the judgment. We're not going to live forever and we can't take it with us. I don't care how much. We, may, we, may, uh, we might make a trillion dollars. But we can't take one penny of it with us. That's just for this life. God doesn't condemn people for being rich. Literally. But he condemns us if we have the attitude that my riches are all I need. What I own, what I possess while I live here on this earth, that's really all that I'm in. That's what I live life for. If that's our attitude, we're living for that which we cannot keep. I've repeated this a number of times. You know, that someone, has, someone made the expression and used this as a question. <clears throat> Why would we give up something that could not be taken away from us, life eternal, in order that we might have what we cannot keep here on earth. That's foolish, isn't it? But a lot of people have that attitude about it. And we had better, if we want to go to heaven, if we want to continue to be a part of this colony of heaven on earth, we must, of course, understand that. Now, before I get through with this, I want, to go, I want to go back and do just a little reading. First of all, here in Romans, the sixth chapter, I want to talk a little bit more about this, uh, this spiritual relationship, this uh, spiritual Israel, this Israel that's the true Israel now, rather than physical Israel. In Romans, the sixth chapter, beginning at verse 8, Listen to this. No, it's Romans, excuse me, it's Romans the ninth chapter. Romans the ninth chapter, verse 8. That is, let's begin with verse 6 so we get the context there a little bit. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Now, there's got to be two Israels for that statement to make any sense. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, and here's the explanation, those who are the children of the flesh, fleshly Jews, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Who are the children of God now? The children of promise, not the children of the flesh. You mean Jews can't be saved? No, that's not what that means. In Galatians, the third chapter, we were there a while ago, weren't we? In Galatians, the third chapter, there's another part of that third chapter that's very important in this matter. In Galatians 3, 
at verse 26. For you are all the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What's that? As many of you as were baptized. How did this come about? By faith. Baptism would mean nothing without faith. For as many of you as were baptized, your children of God by faith upon what? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now listen to it. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now he's not saying that Jews don't become Jews. Gentiles don't become Gentiles. He says it doesn't make any difference. That's the point he's making. You're all one in Christ Jesus when you come to Christ. And if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What did he say over there in Romans about that? That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So who did he say was included at Jew and Gentile? Slave and masters. Male and females. Everyone who will come to Christ Jesus, there's no distinction from the standpoint of their blessings in Christ Jesus. All have the same blessings. And incidentally, that's the one hope that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 at verse 4. There's not one hope for Gentiles and another hope for Jews. He just explained it. There's one hope, and Ephesians 4.4 4 says there's one hope. And that's all right along with the statement that Paul in that same context in Ephesians 4 also says what? There is one faith. Let me suggest to you something. You may have somebody ask you, as we often have been through the years, of what faith are you? Try this. When you're asked that question, say, I'm of, I'm of the one faith. I'm of the one faith. That may get you a study. That may help you keep people to thinking. Well, what, what is that? What are you saying? Are you saying your faith? No. It's not my faith. It's what produces faith in me, but there's one gospel. There's one the faith. There's one the word of faith. There's one the word of grace. Those expressions are used. Acts 20 and verse 32 and Romans, the 10th chapter, and verses 8 and 9. So the hope, this is the hope that Paul had as a Jew. Remember, he was Jewish. But now his hope is not in being fleshly Jew. But although being a fleshly Jew, he has this one hope in Christ Jesus. And he goes on then to say, In Philippians, the third chapter. For our citizenship is in heaven. 
after saying all of that now, this is the point which I started. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. What kind of body? We, well, we can't explain to people just what that's going to look like or how it's going to be, but he tells us it's going to be wonderful. Why? But it's going to be like the body of Jesus Christ that, we, that he gives us when we're raised from the dead. It will be incorruptible. There will be no more sickness, no more dying. There will be no sorrow in it whatsoever. It will be an eternity of joy. And that's what he's talking about. He will transform our lowly body when he comes back again, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to do all things to himself. And 1 Corinthians 15th chapter, of course, is one of the passages that more fully explains, explains that. But then also, I want to close by calling to your attention that I often use because it's connected with this. Hebrews 12 at verse 22. And it's interesting. In verse 18 of Hebrews 12, he says, You've not come to the mountain that might be touched. Describing Mount Sinai where the law of Moses was given to the Israelite people. He said, You've not come to that mountain. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion. The city of the living God. I want you to know he's writing to Christians in the first century. Jewish Christians. And he's saying you have come. He's not saying you will some distant future. He's saying you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. To an innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly. And church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men, paid, made perfect. So, we have described here, in these passages, not, this is not a denominational system. This is describing the one faith, the one hope. The one way through Jesus Christ is not just to say, well, I want to, I want to uh, express my faith in Jesus Christ, but I believe I can choose the church of my choice. You really believe that Jesus established all of these different churches that teach different doctrines, even contradictory doctrines. And of course, that's not popular to point this out in our day and time. But I want to go to heaven. And that's just part of the story. I want you to go there. Too. I want you to go to heaven too. And it's not right because I teach it. There's nothing under heaven right because this preacher preaches it. If it's right, it's right here in God's book, given by divine inspiration. And he's not guiding someone today, whether it's me or any other 
person or preacher. He's not guiding anybody to teach any other thing than what's in this divine revelation. If you're subject to the invitation tonight, why not come in obedience to the gospel? Do just what they did, beginning on the day of Pentecost, when they began, the apostles began to preach this message, this message called the gospel of Christ. And 3,000, about 3,000 people were added to the Lord, and the Lord added to his church day by day those that were obeying these commandments. And they continued to grow, develop in the faith and of the practice of the things that God is, teaches us to follow. This is not a choice of one human system over another. This is a choice of whether we follow our Lord Jesus Christ or we follow after men. Would you come right now? As together we stand and sing. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. 